Hello, 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 and welcome to Gamma Project. I am Dean Statman, your host, and this is episode three. This episode is brought to you by Ultra. Ultra, that's A-L-T-R-A, makes shoes that allow you to run the way you were born to. Ultra's founders noticed something, that the design of most running shoes was hurting runners more than helping them. In traditional running shoes, elevated heels promote a high-impact landing, and narrow, pointy toe boxes squeeze the toes out of their natural position, increasing risk of bunions, hammer toes, and plantar fasciitis. So, a couple of years ago, Ultra founder Golden Harper began melting off outsoles and removing the excess heel elevation from his traditional running shoes. It wasn't pretty, but it worked, and the term zero drop was coined to describe level cushioning and perfect weight balance from heel to forefoot. Today, every Ultra running shoe features a fully cushioned zero drop platform that places the heel and forefoot at the same distance from the ground. This natural balance aligns the feet, back, and body posture for less impact. It also strengthens the Achilles and lower calf muscles that have been weakened over a lifetime of running on elevated heels. In addition to zero drop, Ultra's foot-shaped toe box allows the toes to relax and spread out naturally, while allowing the big toe to remain in a straight position. This enhances stability and creates a powerful toe-off to maximize running performance. I was introduced to Ultra a couple of years ago, and their running shoes have since become a sort of secret weapon for me. I break them out for especially punishing runs, and when it's time to go off-road, their trail shoes are the only ones I'll wear. The Lone Peak is my personal favorite. This spring, Ultra wants you to embrace the space and get fired up for taking your runs outside with their lineup of fast and light road shoes. One model to check out for sure is the Ultra Duo, which features 31mm cushioning beneath both the forefoot and the heel, and weighs in at a crazy light 7.5 ounces. If you're interested in checking out the Ultra Duo, you can head to fleetfeetsports.com. That's F-L-E-E-T-F-E-E-T sports.com. They'll be available there through March. Ultra is also committed to helping runners avoid injury by teaching efficient, low-impact running technique. Golden, who, by the way, ran a world-record 2-hour, 45-minute marathon when he was just 12 years old, taught me everything I know about running with proper form. By focusing on just four core pillars, we completely overhauled my running form and noticeably improved my performance and efficiency. In case you're curious, since you're listening to a podcast about self-improvement after all, those four pillars were, number one, establishing a forward momentum posture. And Golden has a great way of explaining this, where he'll have you stand up in a straight line, lean forward from your ankles, and as you're about to fall over, that is your running posture. Number two, utilizing a proper arm swing. So not letting your arms flail left and right as you're running, keeping them going forward and back, and also not allowing your elbows to come forward past your chest. Number three, cultivating low impact landings. And really that's just learning how to land lighter on your feet and also using your legs as springs instead of relying on your footwear to do that for you. And lastly, number four, maintaining a high cadence, essentially covering the same amount of ground with more steps. You can find more information on those, which I encourage you to check out if you're a runner, along with all kinds of advice and tips for proper running form, 
as well as, of course, information on all of Ultra's products at ultrarunning.com. That's A-L-T-R-A-R-U-N-N-I-N-G.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode three of Gamma Project. I'm very excited to introduce you to today's guest, so let's get right to it. Brian Mazza started his career in hospitality as a bottle runner at a nightclub, but it was there that he laid the foundation for what would later become a bulletproof reputation for hard work, and it wasn't long before he began ascending the ranks of the New York City restaurant scene. Today, Brian is the president of the Page Hospitality Group, a premier operations and hospitality company specializing in high-end event planning and production, and he's responsible for running several high-profile restaurants across the tri-state area. Given the rigors and demands of the hospitality industry, it's especially impressive then that Brian is also one of the fittest human beings you will ever meet. A former Division I soccer player for the University of Rhode Island, Brian is the definition of an athlete, and calling him competitive would be an understatement. At home in New York City, he channels that energy into Tone House, widely regarded as the toughest workout on the East Coast. In fact, by the time this episode airs, he will have completed almost 900 classes. This past year has been an eventful one, even for Brian. The same year he landed on the cover of Men's Health, he tore his Achilles tendon, sidelining him from physical activity, or at least that's what you'd expect. He also became a dad, which of course comes with its own set of challenges. In this wide-ranging, in-depth interview, Brian shares the game-changing habits, routines, philosophies, and principles that have allowed him to achieve repeated success, both professionally and personally. Having worked his way up from the bottom, Brian reveals the valuable lessons he's learned, including advice for dealing with difficult people, launching a successful marketing campaign, and making strategic lifestyle adjustments to benefit a long-term goal. We also talk about the opportunities that lie in social media, what you can do to take advantage of these tools to further your personal brand, and what kind of behavior to avoid. Needless to say, we cover a lot of ground. So with all that said, here is my interview with Brian Mazza. Brian! How you doing? Welcome. Welcome to my office. <laughs> Welcome to your... I love your offices. Thank you. These are very, very rad offices. Actually, I wasn't sure when I first walked in, I just looked at the one side, I was like, wait, are they like under construction? And then I saw the other side, I was like, oh, this is intentional. This is actually cool. Yeah. Very industrial. We actually just moved in these uh, offices. Um, November. Nice. So lots of different things to get into. I think the best way to start is for you, if you wouldn't mind, just sort of taking people through um, your career path, kind of where you started out and, uh, and how cool. you got to where you are now. Sure. Um, well, hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Brian Mazza. I am the president and co-creator of the Ainsworth uh, parent company's um, Page Hospitality Group. So I went to the University of Rhode Island, um, went on a soccer scholarship there, and the goal was to become a professional soccer player, and that goal did not happen. So um, after graduating, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and just you know took different jobs and different opportunities right after school, and that, that was uh, working at a printing firm, and then it led me into women's fashion at a company named Genera. Um, and I was working at Genera in 2006, and at the time, my sister um, worked at Warren Jacomi Hair Salon here in New York City as a hair colorist. 
and her client was Rachel Yucatel. Uh, and Rachel Yucatel worked at a nightclub in, in the Hamptons called Dune for my partner now, Matt Shindell. Rachel needed someone to work at the front of the club, the door with her as her assistant and a bottle runner. So you'd come to the club, I would uh, greet you and get your ID and credit card, and then I would take you to your table and connect you with the waitress, and then I would check on you throughout the night. So my sister's like, listen, I signed you up for this job. You need to make extra money in, the, in you know, working, making no money in the city at that time. I was 22 years old. Uh, living in a rent-controlled apartment on the Upper East Side. I think our rent was like $700 a month, uh, two-bedroom. And I just wasn't making enough money in my life. So I said, sure, I'll take any opportunity. And as a young kid, I always worked. If it was at a, either at a deli or refing a soccer game or something, my parents always wanted me to work for my own money. So working never, ever scared me. I actually enjoyed it because I love being around people. So I took this job. I drove out to the Hamptons to, uh, to work. And I pull up to this house, and it's a beautiful Hamptons house, and people are playing wiffle ball, people are playing poker by the pool, and there's girls running around, there's guys having fun, everyone's drinking. And um, I'm like, hey, is the owner here, Matt? And this guy's playing poker with a hoodie on. And he's like, I'm the owner of the nightclub. I'm like, no, really, who's the owner of the nightclub? He's like, I'm the owner. And then Rachel comes out, and she's like, oh, Brian, you know, oh my God, your sister told me you were coming, great. Um, so let's just talk about the night. So then started... You know, just got right into the nightclub business and I worked my first night and I was just enamored by the whole nightclub business in general. I mean, you have models coming in, you have celebrities, you have guys spending a ton of money. It's just, it was crazy. The energy was great. You had DJs. So I was like, whoa, this is something I might want to do. I think that weekend I made around $2,000. Um, so I said, something has to, you know, change back in the city. So after doing it maybe a couple weeks, I figured... I'm just going to quit my job. And I started having a good rapport with Matt, the owner, over a wiffle ball game. I said, hey, listen, I just quit my job. You have to hire me. And he's like, I really don't have a job for you besides this on the weekends. I was like, I'll do this for the summer. But come fall, I want to work for you full time. And he kind of gave me the Mr. Miyagi wax on, wax off. Then you have to learn the whole business from the ground up. And like I said, I was always a worker, so I didn't care. So I started off as a maitre d', as a host at one of our restaurants, Honey, on 14th between 7th and 8th, and just learned the business. But besides me being a maitre d', I had a very strong network from the University of Rhode Island. So I said to him, hey, I know you have this restaurant by the meatpacking. I could probably get you two to 300 people every Friday and Saturday night. And obviously, as a bar owner, you'd love that. So my first opportunity, I blew it out of the water and brought everyone in. He, he you know, loved that because I was bringing him instant revenue. Now it's 12 years later, we um, are opening the Ainsworth brand nationally together, and we created that brand in 2009. Wow. So that's basically the whole path of learning a lot, you know, being humbled a lot, just understanding the hospitality industry and that, you know, the customer's always right and cr curating and creating experiences for people because you have to really keep their interest coming back, say, you know, in our sense, we are a sports bar, not you know, sophisticated sports bar where football and sports are such an integral part of our business that we needed them to come back every weekend. So we created the first Sunday Fun Day here in New York City. Uh, we had a ton of success with Dune in the Hamptons in the summer. So we said, why don't we create a, a Sunday party? You know, the brunches were going off in the city. This is when day and night was super popular, and Labo, I guess, it was starting with their brunches. So we created 
the Sunday Funday football party before anyone created it. And that's when we didn't have game sound on. We had a DJ and people were buying tables, buying, popping bottles. And that's where it really, the brand really, really took off. When you said that you were able to bring in like two to 300 people, you know, Friday, like that's, that's a crazy amount of people. How, how did you sort of swing that? Because also you went to school, you're talking about a different state even. So I went to the University of Rhode Island, but the ton, a lot of people that go to the University of Rhode Island are from New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. So after we all graduated, a lot of people migrated back home, right, to, to figure out their next move career-wise or whatever. So some got apartments in the city where they lived with multiple roommates or they stayed close to home. So they were able to come into the city. So everyone was starting to see that I left the fashion industry and I was working at the nightclub in the Hamptons and they would come, right? I would be able to get them in. So right away, everyone was saying, oh, Brian can get me something. Brian can get me something. And, and that's still how I kind of live my life, but I don't mind that. I, it's the part of the business I'm in, right? If you need a table here or a reservation here or want to get hooked up with a workout, this and that, people come to me. They gravitate to me for that. Um, so I just, I think on Facebook, I just put something out that I, I'm working at this place. Let's host, I was hosting a party and next thing you know, we have a line of 100 people down the street that want well, to come party. Obviously, a big part of the nightlife industry is, you know, partying, right? Of course. For sure. And we talk to a lot of DJs. I've interviewed a lot of DJs and they've told me, um, I hear this all the time, that it's very easy to get sucked into it and just become another kind of character in the cast. And before you know it, you're getting like absolutely hammered every night and it's just you're, you almost become nocturnal. Um I know that at, at some point you stopped drinking entirely. W when was that and how did, first, what was the catalyst for that? Um, was it sort of necessary or did was it just a decision that you... So um, I haven't had a drink in two years. My wife wants me to drink with her all the time. So um, the reason why I stopped drinking had a lot to do with Tone House, where I train primarily, mm -hmm. had a lot to do with me now being in a position in our, our company where I have to be on 24-7. Mm -hmm. um, that was basically it. I didn't have a problem. But back to your what you were saying before with partying and everything. I did party a lot. I had so much fun. It was one of the best times of my life. But it was also a time in my life that was really necessary for me to be like that. Mm -hmm. Also, the bar and club and restaurant game, it's, it's a numbers game. If you are in it for any other reason, you won't be successful. I think the reason why we've been able to do pretty well is my partner and the rest of us are very, very diligent and smart with the numbers. And if you look at it from a different perspective, you'll be out of business. When you say numbers game, what do you mean? It's just, are you making a profit or not? Profit and loss. And yeah, there's a lot of people that are making profits and that's great, but they won't be in that game for that long. Mm -hmm. For Something will go wrong. If they're in it for a different reason. Well, especially with like clubs, right? Because I mean, it's hot for a while and then something new Exactly. Up. But so that happened two years ago. I stopped uh, just drinking. And that's when I was taking my mindset and training to a whole nother level where I was starting to see other opportunities come my way through the fitness scene. And honestly, waking up with hangovers was, was just becoming so terrible. Mm -hmm. I was getting anxiety. I, I didn't want to respond to emails. I didn't want to go to work. It was just annoying. Um... And I wasn't doing justice for my wife. I was just being not being the person I wanted to be. I didn't think I was being the best Brian Maz I wanted to be. So I remember one night I got drunk and then I came home and I was just, I woke up the next day and I didn't do anything all day. And I said, this, I'm training so hard right now. And I just like gave it up that night. I just drank so much and it's not worth it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to stop drinking. And then, so, okay. So you, you stopped drinking and then obviously you still had to keep 
being yourself and going out and staying out late and all yes. that, which can be really difficult. You know, so it can be scene. super difficult. So the first two weeks were terrible. Um, not that I wanted to drink, but everyone is so annoying because they're like, why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you drinking? And, you know, you after a while, they get over it, right? How did you deal with that? Did you just... What did I just you, dealt what did with you it. Just, you just always drink water. And, you know, I, if, if you don't know me or you do know me, I always do... I just go whatever I want to do. So I'm just like, guys, I'm not drinking. Just, you know, is what it is. Um, and then, you know, I just took training to a whole nother level and that became my focus. And, you know, to be honest with you, do I miss having a glass of wine here or there with a steak? Sure. But I'm so dialed in right now that, you know, I'm in it for the long haul. Right. I'm not saying I won't ever have a drink again. I probably will in my life. But right now I'm, I'm really happy with not drinking and I'm really happy waking up at 4.35 a.m. every morning. Like, Which you're probably doing quite a lot of now because you just had your first son. Well, actually, we are extremely lucky that since six weeks, he's been sleeping from seven to seven. Okay. So he is a gem in that sense. So knock on wood somewhere. But um, yeah, so uh, I love waking up early. It, it, it's, just, it's, it's all part of the whole method of what I have going on. Um, I'm interested in the contrast between, you know, that sort of nightlife lifestyle compared with, you know, now being a dad. Um, how has your has your outlook on like life changed at all, like big picture stuff? Um, is, it, is there sort of a new paradigm the way you approach, you know, work or fun or? Yeah, fitness? I mean, I, I've always been an extremely passionate guy. I've always been a family guy. Um, before I had children, my, my brother and my sister have kids. So I've always been that uncle that... And I love it. Um, but there's, you know, when you have your own child, everyone will tell you, I mean, it, it just, you look through a different lens. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important for me not, especially what I do for a living, you know, to always be dialed in and always be on and always, you know, God forbid I was drunk and made a really bad decision now and something that jeopardized my family or jeopardized my child, it, it, I wouldn't want to be here. Mm -hmm. Um and I don't want to ever make that mistake or take that risk. So for me now, it's just like, you know, always be on, always, you know, which could be anything. Like you could have two beers with your buddies and then go drive home and you're, you're probably sober and you're fine, but you get pulled over and then you get a DUI and then you're not a bad guy that you had two beers, right? Maybe nothing is wrong, but that cop had it out for you and now you have a DUI. Now your son sees you have a DUI and everything. I mean, it's just this, this little man means the world to me. It's so funny. Like, you know, I'm on the morning shift because my wife, she's a, um, a journalist for CNN, so she's in a lot earlier than I am. So um, I get, I see him every morning when he wakes up super early, 7 a.m. I love it, but it's, it's just so surreal and so special to have something that you've created with your partner. And it's so, so awesome. Like, I can't even talk about it. It's just, it's so great. <laughs> I saw on Instagram, you, you picked up a pair of Yeezys for him a little while ago. Actually, that was a gift. Um, somebody got those for him, which was nice. Somebody I, I trained with. I, I'm imagining just based on you that he's probably got a, a fresher sneaker collection than most grown men. At, I think at right now stage. he has about 10 Jordans. Um, oh my God. It's pretty obnoxious, but you know, I'm buying, I buy them all different sizes. So, okay. you know, I, I actually bought him the Ronaldo cleats. So I have really big size. So when he gets older... Ronaldo won't be playing anymore and they won't be making a shoe, but I think it's going to be pretty cool when he's maybe, I think when he's 11 years old to have this iconic superstar cleats. So tell me about, uh, so your experience with soccer. So you were a D1 athlete. 
Um, and I know you still play sort of recreationally. Yes. What's uh, tell me about? So, that. Um, growing up in Westchester, I played for FC Westchester. We won national championship at uh, the the uh, year two thousand U sixteen level, and then playing for my coach Sean Kenny, who's most definitely the best club coach to ever coach in America. Not just in my opinion, many people's opinions. Um, was able to get me a scholarship to the University of Rhode Island. Um, I played there, and I actually quit my senior year because I just didn't see eye to eye with my coach at the time. Which um, I actually got a tattoo the other day of my soccer number on my hand, eleven. And I was telling you briefly before, this is not just a, just a number like a soccer number. It means so much and so many different things that has has happened in my life, and we could touch on that in a second. But so I played soccer there. Um, when we were 17, we went over to Belgium, Holland, and Germany and played um, and came back to the States, back into the, um, you know, the soccer and college and everything. Um, won Atlantic 10 championship, made it to the NCAA tournament. We did that. We were 16th in the nation at one point. Everything was great. And I quit my senior year. Uh, I was injured and just didn't get along with my coach. And people say, don't live with regrets, but... It's a regret that I need in my life to keep me moving forward. Hmm. Um, so I don't necessarily like when people say don't live with regrets. I always need that regret in the back of my mind to not make it again. Interesting. So, so you use that regret as like a like a motivator. It's a fuel. It yeah. fuels me every single day. So it's if it's my last push up I don't want to do, or if it's something at work that's really difficult and I, I can just pass it off to someone, I always know that I made a immature decision to let my emotions get the best of me. So I will never make that decision again. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, so um, back to my number. So I have, I played with number 11. I was a striker. And um, it's just been so many ups and downs with like quitting and so many highs with, I remember scoring with four seconds left against Temple to make it to the Atlantic 10 finals wow. to, into the tournament, right? It was Raining night, I remember is the night. I remember it so vividly being at midfield and there was like 20 seconds left and we were we were down one nothing, And I was talking to my buddy Ruben on the field because like we're like, fuck, this game's over. And I remember saying to him, dude, I can't wait to go out for Halloween tonight. And he was like, bro, I'm so excited. What time are you going to pick? And we had this conversation. And then our midfielder steals the ball and I'm up towards the net. And this kid Emerson um, from Bolivia has the ball on our team. And I was just like, you know what? There's 10 seconds left. Like, fuck it. Let me just run up towards the goal. And I, I got past the defender. And he was he used to call me Mazito. And he was like, Mazito, Mazito. And he hit me a ball. And I took it down on my chest. And there's four seconds left. And I just pushed it by a defender and hit an upper 90 rocket to go send us into overtime. And wow. it was like so insane that 10 seconds prior to that, I'm making plans for Halloween to go out to the bar. Must have been a great Halloween. It was a great. Oh, and that <laughs> Halloween, we definitely went out. Um, and then we actually won the A10 tournament that year, which was awesome. And we lost to UConn in the tournament. But um, yeah, so many highs and lows and then getting injured. And then that leads me to uh, two years ago getting asked by the Red Bulls to try out um, at 30 years old, 31 years old. And that was pretty in insane to uh, be in the locker room changing. And I'm next to this kid and I look over to him and I'm like, dude, like, how fucking old are you? He's like 15. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'm 31. And I have a big beard and, and it was just like, oh my God, is this where I'm at right now? And, and I just tried out, not, you know, I really didn't think I was going to make the team. I just tried out because it was something I, I should have been doing mm -hmm. after school. But I had it, you know, so I had to end that chapter and yeah. it finally happened. It was really neat. My wife drove me there. Um, 
and you're in the Red Bull facility and you're training and people are getting driven there by like their mom, their moms and dads <laughs> getting dropped off. And my wife is dropping me off and it was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, just so many highs and lows. And then that led me to this summer tearing my Achilles, mm-hmm. uh, two inch gap severed, blown out um, a week and a half before I had my first kid. So we'll, we'll get to the injury because I think there's some interesting stuff there. there yeah, that's, you've, a, that's you've a great topic. Definitely, even though you um, you still played soccer recreationally and you sort of ended the more uh, the professional or at least the professional ambition side of it, you definitely still train like an athlete. And, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to talk about Tone House, which is without question, I don't think anyone will debate this, the toughest workout class experience, whatever you want to call it like at least on the East Coast, if not like in the United States. For sure. I, I couldn't agree with you And more you've been that. to how many turnhouse classes? I think I've had over 860. That is straight bananas. Yes. So at one point, and I, that also let, I think, you know, it, it just does seem like crazy and <laughs> like an addiction. Um, but it has single-handedly changed my life for so many positive reasons. How so? Um, like you just said, it's the probably the hardest workout, right? Um, ever. Definitely, it's not even probably. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's harder workouts. Like some CrossFit is extremely, extremely difficult, but it's a totally different ball game, right? right? It's like oranges and apples. So I mean, I go to a lot of classes and and gyms and workouts just because of you know I got to check this stuff out for men's health. But Tone House is the only one where generally I feel like if you maintain a good level of fitness, you can be up for whatever, whenever. Yeah. Um, Tone House is the only one where before I reserve my spot in the class, I have to be like. Okay, am I hydrated? Did I get See, but that, sleep? that also Did that it, yeah. that led me to stop drinking, also, right? Because if you if you are hungover and go do that class, you might as well just go into a coffin because <laughs> you're not going to make it. Yeah. Um, but there, I I felt like I finally found a home because I didn't make it on the professional front mm-hmm. of soccer. Um, then I step onto this turf and I'm competing against guys like minded like me who want to give it their all. Um, and you know me now. You've trained with me. I I'm extremely competitive in anything I do. If I walk down the street, I have to beat the guy to the light. Um, it's kind of like that movie with Tom Cruise where he's the race car driver and he gets hurt um, and he's in his wheelchair and they're racing down the, the hospital aisle with each other because they're so competitive. But I was finally in a home where I could become be, be myself again and, and be an athlete and grind and scream and have grit and get through something I didn't think I would be able to get through, right? It takes me back to living with regret the soccer thing, every time I step on that turf now, even after my 860th class, I still go through it like this is the hardest thing. So I feel like sometimes I can't get through it, but I fight through it. And it's such an uplifting camaraderie experience mm-hmm. that Elvira and Zoe have created there that it just keeps me coming back. It keeps me in pain every day because even when i don't have it i'm in pain when i when i'm doing it i have pain it's, it's like a drug addiction right yeah um but it's so good for me mentally that after i complete a class i feel like i can complete anything mm-hmm. and now i've been there three years training um obviously the last six months have been no training there because i've been recovering from my achilles but it was such a pivotal time in my life where you know i was trying to have kids and we were having difficulty there with my wife. It was. It took us a year and a half to have a baby. We didn't know what we wanted to do business-wise here. If we rolled up as one company and t- took one brand nationally. Um, so everything was going on and so many things were unknown. But I had this place where I could just go and be a complete savage and 
just be a maniac and just let out all of my anger, all of my stress, all of my happiness, just to be a complete, utter beast. And it was just the best thing in the whole world for me. I couldn't get enough. I still can't get enough of it. I think right before we started this podcast today, I called up and signed up for 10 a.m. tomorrow. Just, and I'm just, it's, I still get those butterflies of excitement to go because I know I'm going to get in the best shape of my life, not just physically, but mentally. So I don't know, whatever they're doing, maybe they're pumping some shit in the oxygen over there. But uh, I got to talk to Alonzo about that. But it's for me, man, it's just it brings back the 13-year-old kid trying to make FC Westchester playing soccer. It's great. That is rad. So now you've mentioned the injury uh, once or twice. So let's let's go there because I think that ties a couple of things together. Sure. You, so we actually spoke on the phone. Um, must have been two days ago. Uh, yes. Because I was kind of experiencing something with my Achilles, and I was like, "Oh, let me call Brian." I'm gonna start crying. I hate. See. I hate now. I hate <laughs> when people call me about this because I feel like now once you have an injury as severe and debilitating mm-hmm. as this, it's all you see. Like Demarcus Cousins just did his Achilles. And I don't know if you saw it on online or watched the game. I saw it on your your Instagram feed. It was just like a step. Where I get all it was just news. a step, dude. Yeah, right. My I, my feet is crazy. It was just a step, and it it popped. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I tore my meniscus in my left knee, it was I was walking down the subway platform, and I stopped walking to read the sign of when the train was coming. Like the thing that I did was I stopped walking. Like it, it's it such a it's such a crazy injury that um, two months ago we lost a buddy of ours who uh who we played basketball with who had an achilles surgery like mine and he had a blood clot and didn't know and died in his sleep so it's such a a crazy crazy injury so tell me about yours so yeah so the reason i referenced that phone call was because i was i was asking you you know what did it feel like before it happened because i was just curious if i was maybe going down a similar path and then i asked you what like what the situation was that led it to happen and you basically told me about the days leading up to it and it was just, the it, most action packed, like yeah, it was just action packed days. And um, take take us through it. Yeah, so come May we have the turf wars at Tone House, which I'm back to back champion. And if I win it this year, it's going to be a really epic story. And then I'm retiring. Um, but before that, I always remember watching the Kobe Bryant documentary, um, the Muse, Kobe Bryant Muse, where he talks about the Achilles injury, and you watch him. And I've always said, I was like, oh my god, if this ever happens to me, it's going to be crazy. Boom, fucking happens to me. So. Win Turf Wars, um, that was great. And then from May through June, this is when things got really serious with training. So Turf Wars goes into, I play soccer for Celtic in the Cosmo League. And that led into us being in first place. Um, so, But after the Turf Wars day, that morning I had a soccer game at 8 in the morning, which I probably shouldn't have played in, but I played in it because this is what I do. Then that led into training for the D10 Decathlon and we get to the decathlon, and everyone at Tone House team was like, Brian, you're going to run the track because you're the fastest. So I was like, whatever. And I never ran in track spikes before. So I run, I believe it was the 200 and the 400, I believe that is. Um, ran, I did that. And immediately after the competition, I remember the, ne- well, the next day I had a finals soccer game at 10 in the morning for our club to win the, uh, the cup. That night, my calves were so, so sore. So I have a Compex machine. I have Norma Tech boots. So all night, I'm just recovering. I take, take an Epsom salt bath, which I'm, which is fine, which I normally do. So that morning, I wake up, um, and I'm a little sore, but nothing that would ever hinder me from playing soccer or taking the Tone House class or whatever. So I go to the game, score two goals. We win 2-1. Everything is awesome. 
Um, that next day, I actually take a day off and rest. Um, I train Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning. I train a beach workout where I live. And then Thursday night, I had a soccer game. Now I'm used to doing doubles. It's just something I do. Um, and I never really ever think twice about it. So that day, the beach workout, everything is awesome. And then I go play the soccer game. 30 seconds into the game, I score a goal. Um, about five seconds after that, I drag a defender away from me and I take a step with my left foot. And the next thing I know, I'm inside the turf on the ground. Um, and I don't know if anyone has ever had this injury, but it felt like a bomb went off in my leg. So that happens, it pops. Right away, I'm thinking, not thinking my Achilles, I'm thinking my calf muscle. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm just telling myself it's my calf muscle, but really knowing it was my Achilles. And I stand up. And when I stood up, it felt like my kneecap was in my ankle. Oh, because your spring is gone, right? Your Achilles is your spring, the largest tendon in your body. Now that blew out, like when my surgeon, Dr. Glashaw, did my surgery, he said he really couldn't find where it was because it was like spaghetti strands. Oh. Two inches. Um, now, if you know anything about Achilles injuries, it's called a fight injury because you always think someone hit you. So mm -hmm. right away I get up and I start screaming at the defender like, why the fuck did you hit me? What is going on? This was on film. We have it on film, which I can show you after. This guy was like 10 feet away from me. Wow, I want to see that. So um, he's like, I didn't touch you. The referee's like, he didn't touch you. So the type of person I am, I, I have to walk off the field myself. I'm like literally dragging my kneecap and my heel off the field. Oh, man. Now my wife is <laughs> I'm 30, 36 weeks pregnant, 37 weeks pregnant. And, you know, the hardest thing for me was, do I stay on the field and not play, but sit back and stretch and try to figure this out? Do I go home and call my wife or do I go home to my wife or do I call my dad first? So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call my dad first. So I call my dad and he's like, what's wrong? I can tell in your voice. I'm like, I don't know if I tore my Achilles or my calf muscle, but something is wrong. Could and you visibly, does it look no, very does different? No, or, not no, at all. Okay. Looks fine. So he's like, go to the hospital. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to go to the hospital. I'm just going to go home after the... I stayed for the whole game. I went home. It was my left foot, so I was able to drive. And I called my wife on the way home. And I said, I think I tore my Achilles or my calf muscle. Something's really bad. But, you know, we'll talk about it in the morning. So we go home. And that was probably overall the worst part about this whole injury was calling her and telling her something is wrong with yeah. me. Because she was leaning on me so much to be a new dad, to handle everything. Now, my wife wheeled me into the hospital when she was in labor oh my god so i want to talk about like taking away your masculinity and taking away like everything that you're about my wife wheeled me in wow um so i go home wake up the next morning i call a couple of my doctors here that i know and they're like come see me and right away i go see my guy and he puts his thumb into my calf muscle where my achilles attach and he goes right to my bone so he's just like, you have a torn Achilles. Go get an MRI. Go get an MRI. And then through the people I know in the fitness scene and doctors and everything, I was able to get a, an amazing appointment with Dr. Glashaw, who's probably the best surgeon here in New York City. Um, we did PRP, stem cell shots, everything, which aided wow. to my recovery so quickly. Um, and then that following Tuesday, I got surgery. So it was, you know, I was riding so high with doing so well with everything going on and my wife always told me, you're not a professional athlete. You need to turn it down. But I don't know how to turn it down because that's this is who I am. It's how I train. It's how I operate. Yeah. If you know me now, I'm seven months post-op and I'm able to run 15 miles an hour on a 
10 incline at, at, with no problem now. But that's just how I train. This is how I recover. This is who I am. Um, and this injury is very particular because if you are not a go-getter and if you are not someone who works at their craft or works at recovery, you will never be the same. I remember eight days after my surgery, two days before my baby was born, I was at the gym. And I haven't stopped since. Well, I was going to say, it's not like you took yourself out of commission throughout your recovery. No like way. You were, you were training, training one-legged. One-legged like, in a boot yeah. on crutches, um, which some doctors disagreed with, but that's just how I, I needed to do it. Um, and then, you know, July 3rd, um, well, July 2nd, we were in, we live in, um, out of the city. And my wife wakes me up one that night and she's like, I, I think I'm going to labor. And I'm like, no way. And... It was kind of like I had postpartum in a way. If you, it's as crazy as this sounds, we just had a baby, and I couldn't help or do anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm in a, I'm in, a, I'm in crutches in a cast, and I can't carry my son. I can't go up and down the steps to help my wife, who just had a crazy birth, which was she did a phenomenal job. But still, the recovery is crazy. Um, I was basically like useless. Now I'm the type of guy. I don't like to be useless. I'm very hands-on with everything I do. I like to be the first at everything, help everybody. I'm on 24-7. That's just how I operate. Now I have to go from 100 miles an hour to zero miles per hour with a newborn. So it really put me into a funk for a couple days where I just felt like I was not useless. I didn't want to be around. And I snapped out of it, thank God, three days later. But my wife was, was like, what is wrong with you? And it's really crazy. I really had a, like a case of postpartum right after my son was born. It was really it was nuts. Something about injuries that I'm always interested in, is, especially ones like that that kind of take you out of the game, is you know you, you can recover fully mentally, but there is the... Um, <laughs> is that your, your water machine making that sound? Yeah, this is Trucy water machine. This is molecular hydrogen water. Tell me about that. Yeah, so this is just amazing with recovery, and this is, has something to do with me recovering... Um, Oh, is this for me? That's for you. Thank you. Uh, at such a rapid pace. So everyone should look into molecular hydrogen. Um, it tastes the same. It's like alkaline water, but just on steroids. Okay. Um, but there are no steroids in here. So, no, definitely no steroids. In <laughs> but yeah, I drink this by the gallon. It's It's been amazing for me with sleep, with recovery, with my skin, um, clarity, everything. Nice. Yeah. Um, so what I... To get back to what I was saying was about, you know, recovery, the mental aspect. Because, um, like, I know, and I think your injury was definitely more serious than mine. Because um, I don't know if you've ever torn a meniscus, but you basically walk out of hospital after your surgery. Um, there is a recovery phase, but I found that even once I was 100% physically again, I was just, like, freaked out, right? Like, I would do squats and just pray that something wouldn't happen. And at the same time, I definitely wasn't putting on the same weight that I knew I could do. And I probably could have done it then. But I was nervous. I didn't want to like yeah, push you know, myself too hard. Whereas before, they were, that that constraint was never there. Well, how are you me, kind of dealing me, with that? Um, right now, I'm not nervous to hurt it. I'm past that phase. And in the beginning, you know, you, you get a little ginger with it. But through the rehab process, they mentally get you to that point. But for me, I've always been the type of human being with anything I do that no one gives a shit about you, really. In the, in the grand scheme of things, it's just you against the world sometimes. And I've always took the stance that. I have to do this for me and I have to, now, then I have a baby, right? So now I have to do it for my baby and for my wife. So it's just, I have to be so dialed in and so focused on this recovery that I have to get right. Um, and that's the same thing when, when people come to me for advice regarding like losing weight or, or getting in shape mentally 
and physically, I always respond to them. A, I'm, like we spoke before, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a trainer. But this works for me. And at the end of the day, no one gives a shit if you lose weight. You have to give a shit if you lose weight. You have to give a shit that you want to be the best possible version of yourself 24-7, 365. Because if you don't, no one's going to really care at the end of the day. 100%. So through this recovery process, I literally woke up every single day with my fists in the air, ready to fight this recovery and become the best human being I possibly can. I was going to rehab four days a week, whether it was going to, to see the, the guru, Dr. Jack Vantillon, who I was telling you about, and going to HSS on, on the you know that recovery. So I was always going, getting massages, getting right, making, you know, treating myself like a professional athlete because I train like a professional athlete. And that's what people don't understand. It's the recovery and the way you treat your body is a direct reflection of what's going to happen to you. Obviously, I wasn't recovering enough. I was pushing myself way to above and beyond. Professional athletes don't even go that far. So I don't know if it was my ego or if something was going on with me that I wanted to keep going, 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 going. And then all of a sudden, my body was like, dude, no more. And this happens, right? So the mental aspect of me, I, I feel like the injury was probably the best thing that could have happened to me, as crazy as that sounds, because it made me even more focused and more dialed in. Of, wow, like don't take anything for granted for sure get more dialed in, get more focused on, on the bigger picture of things and train even like harder but smarter also. Mm -hmm. So as much as the, the six months sucked of being out of commission and going through the ups and downs of it, it was great because it, it totally brought a different side of me. Um, and, you know, I, I love, you have to love the process of it. And that goes for business and that also goes for sport that you have to love the process. If you don't love the process, it's going to be really hard to succeed and be successful. What was that thing that uh, was a Tom Ford? Right here. You, you have literally love, have this on your I wall. I had this on my wall. This is insane. You have to love what you do to the point that you cannot imagine doing anything else with your life. You have to sleep, breathe, and live this. Otherwise, you really need to get out now, and that's not a joke. I can't believe you have the quote on your wall that I was. Yeah, just and that's some. It, I have this quote on my wall because I look at it every day when 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 stuff is crazy here at the office or stuff is stressful in life. It just like my life is. I, I'm not just a restaurant owner. I'm not just an athlete. I'm not just a father. I'm not just someone who loves fashion and everything. That's it, it is all of that is one. I'm a. I consider myself a 360 person, um, and that's. I mean, who's better than him at? At telling you that right <laughs> so we we're talking about um you know injury and you're saying that actually was one of the best things that ever happened to you i think there's a really clean parallel actually to business over there and before we started recording we were talking about how um you know a big part of succeeding in business at least is you, you have to have some failures and we we're you talking, have to yes. we we're talking about like you know whether it's uh, a restaurant that ultimately goes bankrupt so that another one can be one of the most popular you know franchises in new york city um, how is, what's one of the, I don't say one, cause you might have a couple, what has failure in business taught you that's ultimately helped lead to your success in business? That's a really awesome question. So, uh, we had a restaurant, honey, uh, it's uh, 14th between seventh and eighth that we had ended up closing with a lawsuit, um, with our landlord and everything. The sun, what we, what I've learned personally is that the sun will always rise tomorrow. And I think that's really unique also in the entrepreneurial space that, Tomorrow's gonna happen. And today might have sucked, and you might have failed at doing something, and there might have been a huge hurdle that you couldn't overcome, but it's okay. 
because these failures set you up different paths to get around them and for them to not to happen again. So yes, that restaurant closing and that sucked and we lost money and everything. And that's when I was on a real granular level of just being a maitre d' witnessing all of this. But that led to an opportunity for me to create the Ainsworth with my partner. Um, so yes, that failing led us to doing something else, right? That failure. But the sun will always rise tomorrow. So you can never, ever get so beat up or so hard on yourself that you don't allow yourself the next day to put up a fight. And I think that's really what sums up all of that there. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, working in hospitality, you and having worked at various levels, you know, being on various rungs of the ladder for all the way from the bottom, you know, all the way to now being president of the Page Hospitality Group, you've seen, you've interacted with a lot of people, arguably more people, more human beings than people in other fields, because really your business is all about people and Correct. you have to interact with them on a human physical level, like shaking hands, making eye contact. Have you learned anything interesting about human nature? That's a really awesome question. Um, what I've learned, and I've always been very perceptive, but I usually can tell right away from the handshake and the eye contact of meeting somebody how the conversation is going to go. Um, and it's a, I, I, for me, it's a confidence level that I, I'm a very confident guy. Um, and when I meet you, I'm, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. And I'm in your face and let's do this, right? Mm -hmm. Let's have this bond. And for me, it's really important, right? Because I need to have this connection with people because I'm creating an experience for them. Um, I've always said I like to treat my properties and what I do like my living room, right? You want When you have guests over your house, you want them to leave your house and say, wow, everything is neat. Wow, the food was great. This apartment's nice. The music was nice in his apartment. I'd love to go back there for a drink, right? I can't wait till he invites me back over. So I really, really try my hardest. Every That's how I want my restaurants to be. Obviously, it's a, on a larger scale and everything. There's a lot of other factors that go into it. But yes, I feel like right away when I meet somebody, I could totally tell what their intention is by their eye contact and handshake. Anything about how uh, to deal better deal with people, like any sort of situations? And it could just be cumulative. You don't have to necessarily think of like one interaction. Um, no, but I, you know, there's you can always um, turn lemons into lemonade. So, and I think that's really important coming from the nightlife scene because... In nightlife, there always seems to be a problem. Always. Always a problem. Someone's always unhappy with their table. Someone is subjective or objective to their their feelings about your food. Um, they feel and, like, and it's fueled by alcohol. So usually yeah, so it's that's what's really difficult, right? Yeah. So now that I'm sober and I'm in these situations, I feel like I can handle them a lot better. Because mm -hmm. if I was drinking and being a maniac, I would probably look at the situation differently. Yeah. So, you know, it's very, very important now that, A, the customer is always right. But there's so many different factors that go into everyone's experience, right? So if they're waiting too long for a table and someone's pissed off, they're on a date, you don't know what's going on in their mind and everything. And for me, now with the experience I've had of 12, 12 plus years in this industry, you know, I've really learned how to deal with people and take them from anger to happy to booking their corporate party, now being a client forever, now coming back, coming to workouts with me, seeing how I train, now becoming good friends, now giving me money to invest in a property. And that all started with, why the fuck am I waiting so long for my table? What did you develop any sort of strategy uh, for dealing with an unhappy customer and turning that interaction around? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I just be honest with them. You know, I'm very, very honest with them. If, if I'm dealing with them and 
they're not happy with their food, make them something that they're happy about. And then we can discuss what, what was their problem and get them back in. Always get that client back in. And they might not be a client then, but they will become a client if you apologize and say, you, you tell them the truth what happened and then you get them back in for a great experience. You know, most most of the time they will come back. Mm-hmm. But um, nowadays, there's so many options and there's, there's so many different things you can do. It's different. Five, six years ago, the, the playing field was very different. There was not, you know, I don't mean knowing the liquor license are in New York City now, but it seems like every other day a bar is opening up or a new a sophisticated sports bar is opening up, right? So we're kind of the, the old guys on the block being around almost next year, next football season would be 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, so always turn lemons into lemonade and take your ego out of it because these people are spending their hard-earned money at your property and there's no reason for you to be rude to them about anything. And also I think what's easy to forget when you're in it is that it's they're not seeing you as Brian Mazza necessarily. They're seeing you as the Edsworth, right? Yeah, like you're, for sure. you're representing what you're a part of. And and, and that's the yeah. also the really hard part too as, as you expand and grow. You know, I'm not in Kansas City every day. So someone comes there and has a bad experience, unfortunately. It kills us because I can't really physically do anything about it at that time. Mm-hmm. If I'm here in New York City, I can really alter that situation and tailor it to how I want it to go and make that customer happy. Mm-hmm. So it, you you know the training is extremely important as we go forward because we're opening Nashville in May. I'm not going to be in Nashville every single day, even though I probably want to because it's such a sick city. So much fun. So much fun, but you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's very That's where it becomes very difficult. Mm-hmm. So the people working with you, I don't like to say for me, with me, it's important that they understand that as well. And for the record, when I first started the Ainsworth, I only owned one point of the, the property. And I treated it like I owned 100 points. And that's what I think my partner loves so much because I gave the effort of like 100% owner mm-hmm. when I only owned one point 12 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that's what – that's I totally agree with you. That's something where I said – I think I may have even said this in the first episode where – don't try and get a promotion based on what you're telling your boss that you can do. Get the promotion oh, no. based on telling your boss what you've been doing. For sure. And and now is, you know, creating Sunday Fun Day and creating this brand that's been loved by so many people and, and then creating this mac and cheeseburger that is a is a, is a national wonder now, which it's, is it's it's framed up on your wall. It's framed on my wall. It. I look at it every day so I know not to eat it. There personally. Are, there are a few things that will make me um, go unvegan for the day and this is this is certainly one of them it's literally like square in front of like you're sitting at your desk right to paint a picture for people here we're in your office you have your um <laughs> molecular your hydrogen molecular water. hydrogen water uh i guess um, hydrating the hydrated doing something to the water behind you that sounds very technical and then directly in front of you across from over the table there's just a big framed photo of this mac and cheeseburger that you have to just stare at all day long. Yep. Well, I st- it means so much more than just a an amazing tasting burger. I mean, we created I created this burger three years ago, and and it's it's pretty insane. It just done wonders for our brand in terms of in the culinary world. And um, I think Business Insider did a story on it. We had 15 million views on it, and now it's such a national. It's its own brand. It's a national brand that when we go to these cities. People are like you. Have that, you guys are the mac and cheeseburger guys, and that's huge for us in the marketing front mm-hmm. already. So did that happen? I actually by accident. Did you? Did you, were you guys when you so planned it's a, this it's product? 
it's we could talk about the mac and cheeseburger really quickly too because yeah. there's, there's two two phases to this so um i when i created I, I create the menu here for page so we wanted to really take our food to another level and we wanted to create a gourmet burger program so i was with one of our general managers at the time who helped me with the menu and I, it's like, what does everyone really love? Everyone loves mac and cheese. Everyone loves a cheeseburger. Let's create a mac and cheeseburger. And we just, trial and error of, first we just made a cheeseburger, threw mac and cheese on it. It just wasn't right. Then we did some other things, just wasn't right. So we created a, a panko mac and cheese patty that goes on above the bun. Oh. Then you have a cheeseburger with three different cheeses. And then you have mac and cheese. And then you have cheese on the bun again. So you bite into it. You have a crunch of a fried panko mac and cheese patty. So that took off. And then I've noticed when, during the fitness life that all of these trainers and everyone who trained really hard would come for cheat days. So this is like a, the best cheat meal. Uh, okay. So I'm training at Tone House one day and everyone is, t you know, being all, oh, br bravado, I can eat 10 of these burgers. I can eat all these mac and cheese burgers. And then I was like, after that class, I went back to my chef. I said, hey, make me three mac and cheese burgers and stack them on top of each other. I want to see what it looks like. So he looked at me like I was crazy. We made these three burgers. We put a sword through it. And I posted it on social media. This was right before, before Food and Wine, three years ago. And I said, whoever can eat this burger, all three of these burgers, under 45 minutes, I'll give you $500. If you can't, you owe me 60 bucks. Right? And I just did that randomly. This is when I really wasn't, didn't really know what was going on with social media. And that took off. People went crazy. So then... My marketing team came to me and said, Brian, we love that you posted and you promoted this product, but we need a timeout. If this is going to happen, we need to do it the right way. So we needed to create a waiver that says you eat all three of these <laughs> and you go to the hospital or you something happens, we're not liable. Um, That's a lot of cheese. So we needed to really figure this out because now it's becoming huge. Actually, Kobayashi, the hot dog eating champion, took on this challenge last year and did six burgers under 13 minutes. When you say six burgers, do you mean six? Six of mac the, and cheese burgers. Triple deckers or Three, uh, two. Okay, okay. Two triple deckers. Two times three, yeah. So six burgers under 13 minutes. Holy smokes. I've never seen anything like it. And I've also never seen anything like that. He didn't even look gross when he did it. Yeah. So he did that, so which was crazy. But now this has taken off where we've had so many people do it. We've only had really two civilians ever. We call them civilians. Two civilians <laughs> ever really compete it, um, complete it. And now this is just... As we pop these Ainsworths up nationally, everyone just wants this mac and cheeseburger. It's, it's, it's really crazy. Wow, that's incredible. Um, now, obviously, like just even that story you told, you seem to have, you know, you take a lot of initiative. You talk about being, you want to be working on all levels of the business at the same time. Then this tone house, which takes energy in itself. Um, on top of that, you're doing two a days. I think a lot of how we act throughout the day starts with the morning and the way that we start the day. For sure. Tell me about your morning routine and you can get as detailed as you want. Like, I'm curious, like, what do you eat for breakfast? What time do you wake oh, up? Very cool. Um, so I've, I've been doing this for a very long time and I haven't even realized that I've been doing it is the intermittent fasting. So I've been doing that for maybe five years of my life and I didn't even know what it was and probably till last year when some, my friend Jen, who's a nutritionist, brought it up to me and told me, you know what you're doing? This is what it's called and everything. So again, everyone, I'm not a nutritionist or dietitian. I just, this is just how I live my life. So um, about a year and a half ago, I start, about two years ago, I started getting up earlier and earlier. Um, and this has to do with everything of not drinking, 
training at a high level every day consistently, getting into a routine, which is very, very important if you want to see change. And in the beginning, in order to be successful at anything you want to do, I think you have to live in an uncomfortable state. I think if you live in an uncomfortable state, you're doing something right. You're, you know, things are moving, things are shaking, you're going into a right way. Once you start getting comfortable, it's very content. And then you might plateau, but always living in an uncomfortable state within reason um, is a very good thing. So I would get up, I remember I was taking the 7.30 a.m. Tone House class and I started getting up at seven. I lived two blocks from Tone House. I feel like I always end up living or getting an office by Tone House so I could be close to it. Um, where I could get up at seven, oh brush my teeth, run out the door, go to the class. Then that turned into 6.45. Then that turned into getting up at 6.30. Then it turned into getting up at 6.30, 6 a.m., then 5.30, then 5 a.m., then 4.30. So now I get up every day at 4.30 in the morning. What time do you go to bed? Uh, I go to bed around 10, 10 o'clock. Okay. Um, now it all depends. If my son goes to sleep, which he usually does, thank God. So I go to bed at 10 o'clock. And my, lo- my wife loves to go to bed early because she has to get up for very early for work too. So mm-hmm. it's great. Um, bed at 10 up at 4.30. So I immediately, my alarm goes off. I immediately get up. I go downstairs. I make myself a coffee. My my dog, my best friend Frankie comes with me. She, she sleeps out of bed. What do you use to make coffee? Uh, Keurig. Okay. So just do a Keurig. Um, I immediately have some MCT oil. Is that mixed in with your coffee? Nope, like that's just, style a, that's or just a chug. Okay. A swig out of the bottle. Um, I don't even know if I'm having enough or too much. Depends on by 7 a.m. how, oh, like, I think you know how my you, emails are. They're you like, know when you've had too much. Dialed you know, in. And my friends are like, someone had too much MCT this morning. So I'll do that and make my coffee. It's pitch black. Then I go sit on the sofa with my dog. No phone. I might just take a picture like the 4.30 for my social, put it down, sit on my sofa, and I'll have a good 30 to 45 minutes of just sitting in the dark, having my coffee, and just reflecting on things that are great, things that are bad, things I want to change, things I want to be better at, things I need to tone it down a little bit and just chill. And I don't know, my dog is such a special dog. It's I, I call her a human, she's such a special human because I feel like she is, that she when she's just with me and we just chill on the sofa together and she's in such a calm state and I'm in such a calm state that I, I'm, I know, and sometimes it lasts... 30 minutes, sometimes the last 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't have a timer. I don't use any sounds. I don't use any apps. It's just me. I live upstate, so I just look outside and I see the trees and the nature and everything going on. If it's raining, snowing, getting sunny, I just know that there's a certain point of doing this. Then I'm like, okay, now I can crank out emails. And so that happens, right? That's 4.30. So now say it's 5.15 or 5.20, I'm already cranking out emails for my day, my, my checklists. So say it's six o'clock now, I've already probably sent out 40, 50 emails, replying to emails, checking recaps from the night before. I've already done so much before 9am already where people are just starting mm-hmm. that I'm already set up for the day. I'm already setting myself up for success. Then the best part in the world happens. I have the monitor down there and I see this little munchkin wake up at seven in the morning which I would wait, I hope he wakes up earlier. I run upstairs and there is no better feeling in the world. I could cry right now. There's no better feeling in the world seeing him open his eyes and you go into the crib and he just smiles at you. And it's just, that makes everything worth it. It's the, oh God, I can't even go home tonight just to look at the monitor and see him sleeping. Wow. It's just so, there's something that I wish everyone can experience when you have kids. And I hope they do. You, when you, wake up in the morning and you see him and he looks at you or she looks at you 
and they smile. It's just like all the hard shit that's going on in your life or all the difficult stuff at work or personal life, it just goes away for that moment. And it's just you and your child and it's, it's so special. Wow, it's incredible. It's the best feeling in the world. So, okay, you get a lot done in the morning. Um, so much. And then, and then the day kind of really starts. Um, but you have, okay, so. Oh, yeah, so yeah. we'll continue on that. So, oh, no, 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 that's fine. So you've got workouts. You're, you obviously have, um, you know, you're managing a lot. You're managing a lot of people. You're managing a lot of locations. Um, days can get crazy, particularly because of email. When, when you're having a crazy day, but there's something you need to get done, right? Like whether it's just something you need to focus on. It could be anything. Like you need to sit down at your computer or whatever and work for like an hour and just nail it. And there's chaos happening around you. What do you do to sort of center yourself and focus? Like to get in that sort of place where you're just in the zone and you can just get shit done. Um, well, I've created a playlist for myself that when things are hectic and things are out of control, I know that I can go to this and I can immediately get into a calm state. Like, a, like I, a song playlist? Yeah, on Spotify. Okay. Um, so I immediately, and I have the luxury of having my own office, right? So when I'm here, I can just close the door and tell everyone to beat it for whatever time. But for people who do not have that and you have the ability to listen to music at work, whatever, I, I find a, a lot of relief and a lot of calmness when i need to get something done through music what are some tracks on your playlist i could show it to you right after this but um sometimes there's two actually sometimes it's just me going onto spotify and listening to the um the coffee mix like at the coffee shop and mm -hmm. it's just because i love hip-hop and i love high intensity music so for that it just t tones it down mm -hmm. and it's also just country music um growing up my dad would listen to brooks and dunn and me playing that just calms me or like van morrison Mm -hmm. just totally puts me in a different state and i know that i can just crank it out and you have to be if you want to if you want to take on so many different things throughout the day and have your hand in this and have your hand in that and be in fitness and be in food and be in fashion and be here and there mm -hmm. you're not going to be successful if you can't pause for a minute and do, get a task done yeah so you have to be able to do that um there's no point in doing everything half-ass anyway right so there has to be a point where you can just Pause for a second and get your task done. It's funny. I, I mean, music definitely plays a part. Uh, I actually have a playlist called Get Shit Done. I think it's just called GSD at this point. Love it. <laughs> but uh, I sometimes something I'll do is I'll actually listen to, it has to be a certain kind of track, but I'll listen to one track on repeat. And sometimes I'll be like, holy shit, I just listened to that song for four hours straight. Like just to stay in that place. Yeah, I hear you. You know what I mean? Uh, Drake's Passion Fruit's a great one because it just kind of loops. <laughs> yeah, and you know, music is such a, a, a vital part. I mean, you know, with the Grammys last night and everything, you, you see how much this music gets people motivated and, and helps them through tough times, good times, or just, you know, just think about when you work out how music can affect your workout. If you go to a gym or you take a class and that instructor has a terrible playlist, you really might not be into the workout. Totally, it takes you out of it. It takes there, you out of it, right? When you want to just be an absolute savage in the gym is there a track that you go to like do you have a like a fail safe um you know i if i really just want to be able to run through a wall and and do everything i just put like rage against the machine nice and even though i love hip-hop so much i that song just makes me really really want to get after it <laughs> that's awesome and so that okay so we talked about how you find kind of focus um what about finding balance like when you get thrown off so like let's say you know you mentioned you wake up what, like 4.30 every morning, um, there are going to be nights where you end up going to bed at 2, right? Like there's an event or things yeah. get crazy. Um, let's say you, so you don't get a lot of sleep. You still have to wake up early because you have a son who is very young. Um, and then 
you know, it's not like you get to work and the world's like, oh, do you know what? You didn't get a lot of sleep, so we're going to take it easy today. Like, no. Well, that's sh- my whole point, right? <laughs> when I said before, is like, no one really gives a shit. Exactly. I mean, obviously, people love you and care about you, right? So don't, don't take that out of context, everybody. <laughs> but at the end of the day, nobody gives a fuck what's going on. It's just there's so many tasks at hand that need to get completed. I'm sorry you had a bad night's sleep. But we have to get shit done today. Exactly. So, so it's finding you, that balance. How is do you get back right? in your balance? And like, let's say you know maybe because you didn't sleep a lot. Like we know based on research that you the the less sleep you get, the more likely you are to eat foods you wouldn't normally eat. Your discipline, your um, your uh, willpower goes down. How do you sort of get back on the race? Well, you know, I, I'm I'm not a complete psychopath. I'm a little bit, but if I had an event and I got home at two o'clock, I'm not going to get up at four thirty mm-hmm. and do everything I'll, I'll have to get at least four okay hours so you prioritize sleep. sleep yes it's very important um do i need eight hours sleep no do i need six hours sleep no i need four to five and that's just how i operate i was just fortunate enough to operate that way um you know this past weekend we uh we were in kansas city friday at a restaurant out there mm-hmm. and you know i believe i got home at one in the morning from our restaurant i had a 6 a.m flight and you know, it was just is what it is. I was I was able to operate and come home, pick up my wife and kid, go into the city for brunch, and I wasn't tired. Again, there's a lot to do with what you're putting inside your body too, right? right? You you can't operate that way if you are treating your body. I treat my body like a Ferrari. You can't put 89 in your bot in a Ferrari and expect it to run really well. Can't put it in your body either, and that would hurt if you did. Nice, I like that uh, that comparison. You mentioned um, one of the keys to success being, you know, maintaining or, or rather immersing yourself in a consistently uncomfortable state. What are some things that you do to, because you're at a point where you, you can really create a very comfortable state for the majority of your time. How do you make yourself uncomfortable intentionally? Well, um, there's two things that I really stand by as well. It's nothing changes if nothing changes and be obsessed with improvement. So I'm constantly obsessed with improvement. I constantly want to get faster. I constantly want to heal quicker. I want to get stronger. I want to be smarter. I want to hang out with people that are a lot smarter, faster, stronger, and everything than me constantly. Um, so I don't want to ever be in that state where I feel like I don't need to do something. It's like they say, if, you're, if you think you're the smartest guy in the oh, room, you're in the wrong room. 100%, sure. Um, so you know, even who I'm training with or who I'm surrounding myself with, they're all better than me at everything they do. Um, and so that I, would be discomfort in the sense of like you don't have that feeling of of being the best. Like you're always, sure. you're always playing catch up with someone. Yes. Um, you know, and there, it, I always feel like I have to catch somebody. And I feel like that's just how I operate. You know, I, I just want to get better. I want to do more. I want to make more money. I want to do – I just want to always do more. Um, some people might disagree with living their life like that. Some people like to just – Stay where they are, and yep. that's fine with them. But I, that's not how I operate. Also, living in an uncomfortable state, just go take a fucking tone house class. You'll live in an uncomfortable state for 60 minutes. But then after that uncomfortable state, you'll feel the best you've ever felt. So living in that uncomfortable state only leads to great things. And I'm, I truly believe that. Okay, so speaking of discomfort, um, you know, challenges. Challenges are always uncomfortable in the beginning because we always feel like we have too much on our plate when we get like a challenge in front of us and it's like now really of all times but when you look back it's like damn you know things were actually okay and the challenge came along um like i thought i was so busy but then i got really busy and it's never like you accomplish everything 
and then you get a challenge put in front of you and you're ready for it. It always comes when you have other stuff on your plate. What's the, what's the challenge that you're dealing with right now and, and how are you dealing with it? Well, I mean, we could just talk about work in general, right? Being a, there, There's two phases of it, being a father and, and work and just scaling your business. So I'm curious in a, actually like a, a specific thing that's on, like what's waking you up in the middle of the night right now? Aside from maybe your kid crying. <laughs> <laughs> that um, scaling the business, the, you know, being unsure. I don't know if you saw my post recently, but um, I was very unsure. I, I never really traveled a lot for work. I've traveled around the world. I've lived in Italy. I've done all these things, but now it's get on a plane, go to a city, infiltrate yourself in that city, become a local, mm-hmm. become part of that community, be embraced. Likeability is huge. I can't go into Kansas City and no one like me. I have to go into the city, embrace people, make real friends. That's stressful, right? But I love it. I love that I have to go out there and meet new people and, and create new relationships and new friendships and change people and, and have them see my vision with my product and what we're doing. And There's no better way for me to do that than Go get into this fitness scene. I love going to Kansas City and taking these fitness classes and being Brian from New York. Oh, this is Brian from New York. They own the Ainsworth. Look at him on the, you know, there's this place called Health House out there. It's an amazing facility. You go in there and everyone's just so sweet and you're getting, but that keep that shit keeps me up at night, Rick. I always feel like I can do better. Mm-hmm. I always feel like I can meet more people. I feel like I can just do more with the brand. And I wish there was more more than 24 hours in a day because I just want to get shit done. So that keeps me up at night that I feel like sometimes I'm not doing enough. My mom thinks I'm crazy. My dad's like, slow it down. My wife's like, do you ever effing stop? And now we can see my kid has starting to like, you know, have that gene in me a little bit too. He's <laughs> Now that he's crawling a little bit and he's always wanting to do stuff, she's like, he's just going to be just like you. He's just not going to stop. Are you going to get him started in any particular direction, like athletically, like soccer? Well, or... right now we're doing five sit-ups a day. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Is, um, he, is he doing gallops yet? He can gallop, but... Uh, no, yeah, I mean, whatever he wants to do, it's it's totally cool. Everyone's like, what happens if he doesn't like sports when he grows up? Whatever. If he doesn't like sports, he doesn't like sports. He's still going to love him. I'm sure he'll be killing it at something, whatever it oh, is. I hope so. I just want him to be healthy big. and happy. But yeah, you know, things keeping up. I feel like I can do more with my life. I feel like I can, you know, influence and motivate people. And, and that's, you know... It's a funny question, right? People, what you said to me the other day is like, you don't post that much about your business on your main gallery page. If you dig deeper into it, yeah, the picture might be me not with a mac and cheeseburger, but um, my other posts, like when I was on the plane talking about the travel for work or mm-hmm. if it's at a party in Kansas City or or something that if you read the, the body of the, the caption, you'll understand that. But, um, you know, it's, I feel like I can do so much more for people. And that's how the whole Instagram really started. It started with a woman from Louisiana reaching out to me and saying, hey, I want to lose um, 40 pounds by this date for a wedding. And this direct message came to me. And I remember one night in bed, I'm reading this direct message from this woman from Louisiana. And my wife's like, who the hell are you reading? I'm like, don't worry about it. Whatever, I show her the direct message. I hope he doesn't just say, don't worry about it. I said, don't worry about it. And I showed her the the um, the direct message. And I just said, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to get back to her. And I said, listen, the only way this is going to work is if you don't waste my time and I won't waste your time. And we worked on this together and we communicated through direct message only. And... 
by that date, she lost 60 pounds. Wow. And I helped her achieve that. And I said, wow, I have really something here that I can help and motivate people. What was, I'm just curious, what were some of the, the changes that you had her make? Obviously, it was diet, diet right away. I mean, yeah. she was like, crushing tons of sugar. She was, you know, having a lot of uh, Coke, not mm-hmm. the drug, the drink. Um, <laughs> she was just eating really unhealthy. And I said, you know, back to nothing changes if nothing changes. Mm-hmm. Let's just stop this. Let's stop, stop it now. Um, and, you know, we, we did it in stages and we got her down to 60 pounds and she's kept it off. And we, now we talk all the time on direct message, um, about just everything going on in her life and fitness and everything. So that's what really sparked me with the whole social media of how to help motivate. And I can really do this now. I can, people can see what I'm doing and that can have a direct impact on what they're doing and not saying live my life, but this works for me. Mm -hmm. If it could work for you too, try it. And I've had a, such a great positive response from it. Um, and, and that goes right into my business also. So everything works together. I have people that follow me from Australia who love my mac and cheeseburger and come here and want to take a Tone House class with me. Oh, cool. I have people that see me at Tone House and see how I train and want to come to the Ainsworth and eat. I have people that see how I dress and, and like the way I dress and then want me to set them up with a stylist or somebody I know. So I'm... I'm influential in a positive way for them and it just it makes me so happy that people just like they would reach out to come for a reservation mm-hmm. they're reaching out for me to come take a toenails class with me yeah i want to actually come back to the um the topic of you as a as a social media influencer because also that's such a culturally relevant thing right now one thing i want to ask you is and actually this starts with social is if someone just went to your let's say instagram page um based on the photos that are up there uh, maybe even based on, you know, like listening to this or if they sort of see you out, you definitely um, come off as someone who has it, their shit together, essentially. Like you've got at this point, you've got your shit together. I'm interested in a time when you didn't have your shit together, a time when you knew you needed to change something. And I'm curious about what you changed, how you changed it. Yeah, I mean, um, that's, that's that has a lot of layers to that question. Um First of all, I feel like I do have my shit together, but there's always room for improvement and there's always room to be better at that, right? Um, whether either it's at home or at work or in, in fitness or the way you treat yourself or whatever. So I'm very dialed in. I'm a very detailed person. I, I plan a lot of things. I plan my path. I plan my next move. Um, so I, I think after quitting... That ye- that senior year, it was it was a dark place for me because, to be totally honest with you, I'll just be straight up with everything. Um, I quit for a girl, and I hated my coach. Right, so I left something that I really really loved for something I thought I loved at a young age and immaturity. That person went to go study abroad, and I f- thought I would be able to still be with her, which my parents probably didn't think I was able to. She ended up cheating on me and had another boyfriend while abroad. Mm. Her friends with me set me up to go surprise her on this trip. Oh, man. Knowing that she had another girlfriend. Oh, man. Yeah. Wait, she had a girlfriend? No, another boyfriend. Okay. I'm sorry. Knowing she had another boyfriend. So I end, I go to Australia. Wait, why on earth would her friend do that? Exactly. I don't, whatever. I go to Australia to meet her, and I know something is wrong right away. See this guy around... I knew she was cheating on me. So I get there. I go to a bar one night 
with everybody. And I bump into one of my college soccer players. I had no clue he was going to be in Australia when I was in Australia. That changed the whole trip. But that was such a dark time of my life because after I graduated, I still had anger about what happened to me. This doesn't happen to me. Why would this happen to me? I'm not this type of guy. I don't get played like this. And it was a big shocker to, wow, you, you don't have your shit together. Someone obviously is not into their cheating on you and all of this stuff, right? So I went through such a tough time with that. And I think that translated into me not wanting to have a girlfriend into my 20s and everything. And I didn't want to trust anybody. Mm -hmm. So not trusting people and thinking everyone was out to get me, that kind of was a really dark time in my life. And then I really had to like let go of that and, and move on. So I think in my early 20s, I kind of had this chip on my shoulder in a sense that you can either have a chip on your shoulder in a positive way or a negative way. And I was I had a negative chip on my shoulder. And that just, when I drank, I was not the person I wanted to be. I had an attitude. I, I hated the way I was when I drank. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with it. I, I did, couldn't let that go in my younger 20s. Do you think that that sort of um, reluctance to be in a relationship after that actually allowed you to have the free time you needed in order to really accelerate your career? Because that was right around the time when you started getting Yeah, so it, that was, you know, I'm kind of, again, just like my injury, I'm happy that happened. I, I'm so happy that happened to me because I was able now to take New York mm -hmm. by storm and create the Ainsworth and be in the Hamptons and be a huge face in the Hamptons and be, be in this epic nightclub and run this nightclub for 37 nights where we did mega, mega numbers where we'd have Rihanna, we have Jay-Z, we have all these people and I was their person. And then come back to the city and create this amazing brand and be that guy with my partner, be single, have no worries in that sense and just crank at work. How did you get over the trust issues? I think with, with just, you know, they say time heals everything. Mm -hmm. It's time heals everything. And then you get into another relationship that might not be as bad but might not be good and then you learn from that and you adapt from that and then literally i meet my wife at the ainsworth um got set up by my buddy and as cliche and corny as this sounds i knew right when i first met her it was like the world stopped and i was like i'm gonna marry this it was the weirdest thing and that's how you get over those issues wow so you knew there and then i knew that i mean I met her, we, she moved in after four months, we got engaged after eight. Now we have a baby and wow. it's crazy. And how old are you now? 33. Yeah, unbelievable. Crazy. So you started talking about the sort of social influencer side of things and it's something I want to address and there isn't really too much more discussed here because after this because I want to be respectful of your time and you have a small human to go home to after this. Um, a lot of people are, you meet more people than you'd like who actually just, the go, their goal is to be like a social media influencer. Um, and really it's sort of like putting the cart before the horse in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Because I think, well, I don't want to say the right way to do it, but the authentic way is to actually be good at something and be influential and then social media just sort of happens. Um, a lot of people nowadays, just with the prevalence of, of social media, they're trying to sort of get there first. As someone who is... That, one, that happens way too often. Yes, definitely. And you 100% fit the description of a social media influencer. Whether you like it or not, you have how many followers on Instagram? 50,000. Okay, so now 50,000, like by the time this comes out in a couple of weeks, like probably 
more than that grows pretty steadily. Um, not saying my podcast is the reason why I get tens reason. of thousands of followers. Um, a lot of people, I think, and particularly those people who are interested in becoming social media influencers, it seems like that's the end game. Like, I just got to put up the posts now and I've got to like network and everything. And so I can, then I'm done and I did it. Ultimately, it's just a number on your profile at the end of the day. Um, I mean, it doesn't really mean anything. Exactly. So what I'm interested in is if you could speak to anyone who's listening who might be focused on that particular carrot and, you know, what you'd sort of tell them. It's the same, it's the same thing that we touched on before regarding when I owned 1% of the Ainsworth but treated it like I owned 100%. It's the same thing with the social media, right? You can't pretend like you have a million followers when you haven't accomplished anything. I mean, granted, yes, you could post a, a picture if you're a chick and you want to put, put a bikini photo up or if you're a guy, you want to be shirtless and, and just put a motivational quote. Sure, people are going to like it. Maybe they won't, maybe they will. But there has to be something, there needs to be more depth to you as a person. Mine happened organically. I, I, and I don't even have a lot of followers in the grand scheme of things with what is going on with how many people have followers. But that never doesn't mean anything. Um, I feel like with people, also with social media, you become friends with, with people who you don't even know. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you put them up on emails with other people and you connect them with other people sometimes. You don't even know them. There's, there's, there's no more interaction right with with real one-on-one communication it's mm-hmm. through a dm and all of a sudden just because this person liked your photo or dm do your boys with them or your girls with them like that's not real how do you know this person? this person could be fake um so what are you creating did you create something are you you're a, are you really a sick athlete my whole thing is when i first meet people and i think when i first met you i said let's train together mm-hmm. i think that's what i said to you let's train yeah, yeah. i train with people right away for business purposes, because I want them to see how I train, because I think it's a direct reflection of how I con- conduct business. I remember we went to Equinox, 44th Street, and you just started doing muscle ups, and I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, I mean, uh, I, I think that that's I'm just so going like, to warm up on the rower. You know, I, I especially, <laughs> I know so many people who, you know, train at Tone House and people in the fitness scene who just put a picture up in a motivational quote, mm-hmm. but where's the substance to you? What, what do you have, right? And I think anybody could do that these days. Get ropes and then say, you know, working hard today. It's yep. great if that works for you, but you need to have some substance to it. Rise um, and grind. Hashtag Monday. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's great. And if people do it, and if that's getting you through the day, then that works for you. But if you want to accomplish being a social media influencer and everything, mm-hmm. I would. I hope that you have some substance to what you're trying to do or you've created something that's impactful in a positive way for people. Exactly. And that's a good place to shift gears to something a little more constructive, which is the other side of the coin. For someone who, let's say, is a, I'll say an influential person, but I don't mean in terms of social following. I just mean like their DNA. They are an influential person. They have good things going for them. Maybe they have projects that are exciting and they're just not getting that traction on social. Um, You know, you mentioned you've got some sort of uh, codes or like internal rules when it comes like you know you don't post certain things about business on your on your feed and you've got it's become very curated uh, and people kind of know what they're curated, doing. Yes. What, what advice would you give to someone who 
actually really does deserve that recognition on social and they're just doing it wrong? Like what, any pointers for them? Yeah, that's crazy because I feel like I ask these questions to people too all day long. Like how can I do this better? Or you're constantly learning and evolving and everything. Which is great because maybe you've heard interesting answers that you could share. Yeah, for sure. So um, first of all, the algorithms are always changing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, they want you to spend money promoting and doing things in order for your stuff to be seen. So there's certain influencers that got into the game super early that have four, five, six, seven million people we know, million followers, right? Because they got in at the right time. They hit it while it was right. And I think it's a key to a lot of success in people, right? Is timing. Mm -hmm. But just like the restaurant business and the bar business in New York City, it's so saturated, Mm -hmm. right? You know, Instagram and fitness people are so, it's just so saturated. Everyone's doing it. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing differently then that next person is probably going to set you to another, you know, another level or more followers and everything. I think a key thing is teaming up with certain Instagram, Insta-famous people, if you will, how cheesy that sounds, and having a real connection with these people, if you can, and having them repost your stuff um, or having them draw traffic to your your page. You know, I, I... it's, you know, same thing with the way I eat, right? I, I own restaurants, so I have the ability to go to my chef and say, hey, make me grilled chicken today or make me this certain salad I want to eat. I have the ability through the restaurants to be seen a lot more. And, to, and, and I'm not ashamed about that. It's just mm-hmm. my life. That's how I live my life. Or to get press or be in the cover of Men's Health, you, you know, like I, I had that. I was very lucky enough to have these outlets where when they do write, write up about our restaurant in page six or in a certain magazine my name is in it so Mm -hmm. people are drawn to that right but it is really difficult you know i i I don't like seeing people when they get photos and they photoshop certain things Mm -hmm. and and you it's crazy right like i train with you every day i know you don't look like that like people do that and it's it's just false it's fake and do do you see that a lot i see that a lot with a lot of people yeah and and just like or you're really not that much of a savage why are you posting like that? That's not true. Mm-hmm. Like I train with you. Um, so I don't know. It, it's I feel like it's so difficult these days in order to grow your social. But people get so like drawn into it and it takes over their lives or consumes their life about posting and everything. And it, it like ruins their day if they're posting to get a lot of likes or everything. But you have to start somewhere. I mean, I started with one follower. Now I'm here and I don't know where that's going to go. Um, I don't really care to be honest with you. <laughs> you you mentioned your diet, uh, and you can you know of course not everyone can just go to the chef of the restaurant that they are and say like make me this and that. But you are, can one hundred percent be in control of what you put in your body, no matter what you do or what your For resources sure. are. Um, even on limited resources, you can still say no to certain things. I'm curious, what is your diet like? Um, anything you stay away from? Anything so you default to? It's and people might think I'm crazy when I say this, but it's really not that difficult. It's Stay away from processed stuff, and that's processed sugar, processed meats. If you really want to change that, you if you want to lose weight, and you just say you just stop having Coca Cola, stop putting tons of sugar in your coffee, stop eating junk food at night. Let's just stop right. Let's just stop those three things right there. And by the way, if there's anyone listening who hasn't seen <laughs> your Instagram, 
uh, and therefore shirtless photos. Brian probably has, I'm assuming, like maybe 7% body fat. I hope. Uh, right now, I'm trying to get down, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're slacking. You probably had like an But 8, if 8. you just 5. stop those things, you'll lose weight. It's, yeah. It will happen. Um, it's the worst thing when people are like, I don't know why I'm losing weight. I'm like, well, what did you have last night to eat? And like at 10 o'clock, I had, you know, maybe three or four cookies and maybe some popcorn. And I'm just like, what are you doing? You know, so my advice to people, don't have fruit late at night. Uh, try to drink a gallon of water a day mm-hmm. if you can. Stay away from the processed foods because that will just crush you. Um, try to stay away from the dairy. But if you're going to have a cheat meal, go have a mac and cheeseburger. <laughs> I had to plug that in. At the Ainsworth? At the Ainsworth. Um, what what di- diet-wise in terms of what you eat? Is there one thing that was a particular game changer, like something you either stopped eating or started eating? Where you were like, uh, well, I, first of all, alcohol was huge. Yeah, um, I don't think people realize. People how, don't realize that because there's so is. much sugar in the alcohol, and you, what are you doing? You're out late at night, right? So if you're having four, five, six, seven, say ten drinks, right, and then you go to sleep, you wake up hungover. Mm-hmm. That sugar now has been through your body. Turn into fat. And right? let's be real, like you're not drinking and then just going to sleep. You're making a stop at like Yeah, and then you're having a slice of pizza. The food cart. Right. Or, then yep. you're just eating terrible at home. Um, you wake up, you're hungover. What do you do when you're hungover? You eat you order more terrible food. And now you're in a rut. So now it's two days that you've lost. But prior to you going out that night, you probably had a great workout. Mm-hmm. You probably ate, had a healthy dinner. Everything is great. Now you're gonna go ruin it by doing all these things. So that's for me, it was like, what am I doing? Like I'm working so hard, but now I'm going to go have 10 drinks. And the next day, I'm going to be useless. When you stopped drinking, did you have to change your, or let's say edit rather, your circle of friends? Because I know for a lot of people... That's a really awesome question. Well, so a lot of my yeah. friends broke my chops. And, you, and, and you can, I lost a couple. Yeah. And you realize that maybe like whether it's alcohol or for, it could be anything. It could be any substance. I think a lot of the time when you stop doing something, you realize that that thing is was actually what you had in common with a lot of people. And when you take that thing away, you yeah. actually have nothing in common. How did how did that sort of affect so, you? So I'm always the joke of my friends anyway. So they always make fun of me with my posts or what am I wearing? Or it seems like you're wearing your wife's jeans or this and that. <laughs> so I'm used to it. But there came a point where some friends didn't talk to me anymore because I or didn't. I don't want to say talk to me because we still have that like common love for each other. But they wouldn't reach out to me to go do things. Do, do certain things mm-hmm. and then I would see photos of them out and I'd be like why didn't you guys hit me up well you're not drinking I'm like oh I don't care I mean whatever so you get through that right and then it just people either are going to hang out with you or not but you know it's really always funny when they're really drunk they always come talk to me and say man can I just train like you man dude I wish I was doing it like you or wow I'm so happy for what you've got going on in your life man I can't believe you're doing it I just can't, oh God, I wish I could do it. It's just so funny. Everyone always comes back around Mm -hmm. with happy that I'm doing it and wishing they could do it. So to sort of conclude, um, and that doesn't mean that this has to be a short answer, but one thing I'm, I'm curious about, and it's sort of a fun thought experiment. If you could teach a college course for one semester on anything, it doesn't have to be anything you are professionally involved in, it doesn't have to be hospitality. It doesn't have to be fitness or diet or anything like that. It could be a passion, some random thing you're interested in, or just something that you really believe that people need to hear more or hear at all. What would your semester be on? So I took a really funny class, uh, an improv class in college. And I feel like that 
semester really enabled me and empowered me to not have fear of speaking in front of people and not and, and gave me a ton of confidence. And I feel like that should be more of a mandatory requirement in college rather than economics or sometimes a math class. Because at the end of the day, once you graduate college, you get thrown into the wolves and you have to fend for yourself. And there's likability that's a huge part in being successful and interacting with people. And I, and I feel like that improv class, I didn't know anyone, right? It was my freshman year. Um, I'm the soccer player from New York. And there's like so many people in this class. And oh my God, wow, wow, there's pretty girls. There's, there's football players in here. There's people in the fraternities and sororities. What is going on? And it's like, get on stage and, and do improv. And you have no choice like your fight or flight kicks in, right? And you have to, you have to adapt. And it, you know, adapting is so important and crucial in life, right? You have a kid, you have to adapt. You get injured, you have to adapt. You open a business, you have to adapt. Your business is failing, you need to adapt so it doesn't fail. You need to adapting is everything, right? So I feel like the improv was just a great way for me to kind of let loose, not give a shit, have fun, and then you get more comfortable. And then next thing you know. It's just like a routine. So I feel like the improv class is something that I would love to maybe teach or I'm, you know, I'm not in drama or anything, but I think it would be fun. That's, that's a great answer. Um, I'm just like, imagine you doing improv. <laughs> I, I, it, it was so funny. I think I did the Chris, my first one, I think I did um, El Nino by when Chris Farley did it on oh, Saturday. Man. I am El Nino. <laughs> um, and there's a couple awesome. kids on my soccer team that were there. I was like, what, what are you doing? But for me, it was like I had to just do something that was so obnoxious and, and funny yeah. for me just to like let it out. But um, yeah, it was cool. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I know uh, you're a busy guy. Thank you very much. It was great. Best of luck with this. The, the, the uh, last episode I listened to was really awesome. And you know, I think you're onto something here. Hey, guys. Dean here again. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that because there is a lot more to come. I will continue releasing a new episode every other week, so stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, head over to gammaprojectpodcast.com for episode notes, blog posts, and other things related to the show. You can also follow us on Instagram at gammaprojectpodcast, and we're on Facebook too. And here's an idea. If you like what you just heard, hit us up with a star rating or even write a review. That stuff really helps. Once again, this episode is brought to you by Ultra. Ultra, that's A-L-T-R-A, makes shoes that allow you to run the way you were born to. This spring, Ultra wants you to embrace the space with their collection of zero-drop running shoes featuring the brand's signature foot-shaped toe box. Get fired up for taking your runs outside again with their lineup of fast and light road shoes, which includes models like the Ultra Duo featuring 31mm cushioning beneath both the forefoot and the heel. It also weighs in at a crazy light 7.5 ounces. The Ultra Duo is available at Fleet Feet Sports, that's F-L-E-E-T-F-E-E-T-Sports.com through March, but you can also head over to ultrarunning.com, that's A-L-T-R-A-R-U-N-N-I-N-G.com for dozens of other models and styles. I'd definitely recommend checking out the trail section while you're there. When it comes to taking my runs off-road, there isn't another brand I will wear. You can find all of that, plus some outstanding advice and tips that I personally use to correct my own running form at ultrarunning.com.